wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her held his peace to wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of a half shekel weighed and two bracelets for her hands of ten shekels weighed of gold, and said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? Now, who is us? He didn't say me, he said us. Who's us? Who's with the servant? Ten camels. It is one thing to come home and find out that your daughter has invited a stranger to spend the evening with your family. It's another thing to drive up and see ten camels parked in the front yard. And she said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. She said, Moreover unto him, We have both straw and provender enough and room to lodge in. And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. Every time the servant's focus is on the good of the master. We are God's servants. It's not about what's good for us. It's about what's good for him. Now, the good thing about it is he always takes wonderfully good care of us. And, and what's good for him is good for us. But our focus is on pleasing him. And then he said this, I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Here's another freebie. This is not the sermon. But there's a great truth there. I being in the way, the Lord led me. It is hard to steer a parked car. People who just sit around and wait for divine revelation about their life seldom find the will of God. But those who are doing what they can do and doing what they know they should do, it's easy for God to steer them. But I want to talk to you about this thought. And I want to talk to you about watering camels. Lord, would you guide me by your spirit to say the things that would help your people please you, be good for this church. Lord, I pray you bind the devil and his demons. You said that they always try to come and snatch the seed of your word out of the soil of our hearts. Keep them from that. And help me to say just what you once said. Empower me. Direct me, please. The best I know, I yield myself and ask you to use me and confess that I can do nothing without your help. So meet with us in a wonderful way and do a work in our lives that will last for a long time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I have wondered why, maybe you have too, God blesses some people and doesn't bless others. When I was in college, there was a guy and everybody thought he was the hope of the world. This guy was good looking. He was sharp. Uh, he, when, when we were scrounging around to preach to some drunks in a jail or a rescue mission, he was holding revival meetings one week in the fall, one week in the spring. Maybe one of the finest young ladies at the college. Her daddy was a preacher friend of my dad's. And uh, she's a piano player, a singer, beautiful girl. And 
he was going to be an evangelist. He was the president of this and the chaplain of something else. And when he got out of college, he went to work for the Ford Motor Company, though he said he was going to be an evangelist because he said, I have to take care of my family. You see, you wouldn't want to trust God to do that. You'd be a lot better off trusting the Ford Motor Company. He had an idea, and it worked out pretty good, and he made some money and had another idea, and he started a travel agency. And back in the, oh, I would say the late 70s, mid to late, late 70s approximately, he started a travel agency, and its first year it grossed $4 million. By its second year it was bankrupt. And the FBI was looking for him to indict him for fraud. Preached a few rallies and retreats, but had such great promise, never did anything for God. Thinking of another guy, he uh, he was not what you would call sharp. No matter what his outfit was, his shirt tail always seemed to hang a little lower than his coat tail. And if you looked at his tie, you could tell what he had for breakfast and lunch and several previous meals. Sincere guy, good guy. And uh, he was a member of our church for a while before he went off to the mission field. And he kept bringing people down the aisle that he wanted to Christ. And I said, brother, where are you meeting these folks? He said, well, he said, there's a store down. It had been a union store and it went out of business and was purchased. And the new store was not a union store. And so the union was picketing. But he discovered those weren't union members that were picketing. They were people the union was paying a minimum wage, not a union wage, to carry signs in front of the store. So he'd go down and he'd walk with them as they picketed. And he'd say, you know, talk to you. They didn't care. They just were carrying signs up now. If you died today, do you know whether or not? No. Can I show you? I don't care. They'd lead him to Christ, bring him into church. He was a missionary. And then he had to come home from the field for health reasons. He, he uh, got a, an opportunity to serve at a church in Florida. The pastor said, I can't pay you anything, so you have to raise your own salary. But if you come here and raise your own salary, you can be my assistant pastor. I believe Dr. Fong would make that offer to just about anyone. <laughs> and the guy went down to Florida. And he got a, he got an idea. He got a semi truckload of Christmas trees from Michigan where they were cheap and brought them to Florida where they weren't so plentiful and sold them and made enough money in that one deal to pay a salary for a year. And he built a couples class and he's got all kind of ministries. He's still serving God. Now why did the one guy do so much and the other guy do so little? I don't think I know all the answers, but I think a part of the answer is in our story. Eliezer has an amazingly difficult job. He's got to find a wife for his master's son. I know a whole lot of people didn't do so well finding a wife for themselves. But try to find a wife for somebody else. There was a deal a few years ago where people were, were choosing their children's spouses and they would betroth them sometimes at the age of 15. And my word for those people was idiots. You don't know what that guy's going to be in 5 or 10 or 20 years. Uh, the Bible says a prudent wife is from the Lord. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, you can get a spendthrift all on your own. And a father can give house and riches to his son, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Listen, when you get ready to get married, you better get God in on the deal right away. 
And Eliezer knows that. And he says, Lord, i got to find a wife for my master's son. And I don't know what to do. He said, would you do this? I'm here by the well where the women come in the evening to draw water for their families. And I'm going to ask for a drink. The one that you have chosen, would you let her not only give me a drink, but volunteer to draw water for all my camels? I want you to think about that requirement. It was unusual. To ask for water for a drink was a common courtesy in Bible times. They had no bottled water. They had no drinking fountains. And it would have been a breach of etiquette to not give somebody a drink. But to water the camels? These camels were the one hump camels, from according to my study. And they weighed up to 1,500 pounds. And they could consume up to half their weight in water. So they were capable of drinking 7,500 pounds of water. But let's be generous. Let's say they're only half thirsty. So they're only going to drink 3,750 pounds of water. How much does a gallon of water weigh? Does anybody know? Yeah, roughly 8 pounds. So if you divide 8 into 3,750, you get? That's right, about, about 468. Now, how many gallons of water do you think Rebecca could carry at a time? Because the Bible says she went from the well and ran to the trough. And the Bible says she carried her pitcher on her shoulder. Remember, the pitcher was not made of lightweight, high-impact styrene or something like that. It was made of clay or stone. Let's be real generous again. Let's suppose that she's been going to 24-hour fitness 12 out of every 24 hours and she can carry five gallons of water, 40 pounds plus the weight of the pitcher. I think that'd be generous. If that's true, she's got to make about 93 trips. That's a real unusual requirement. It's kind of unfair because here's what happened. She'll go down and she'll lower down the bucket, pull it up on her pitcher, and she'll run over here and she'll drop it into the trough and she'll go back. She's only got 92 trips to go. And she goes back and lowers the bucket again, pulls it up into the pitcher, pitcher on her shoulder, runs over the trough, uh, puts it back into the trough, and she goes back again, only 91 trips to go. I didn't exercise this morning. That's why I'm preaching this sermon. And she does it again and again. And you know what Eliezer did the whole time? He did this. what it said. The man wondering at her held his peace. To wit whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. Uh, man, how unfair. Let's that young lady do all that work for him. I, uh, OSHA would have probably written him up for a violation and the union would have found that his unfair labor practices and the media would have been appalled at such behavior. But he stayed there. Because the requirement was not only unusual and unfair, it was unequivocal. If she did not draw water for all of his camels until they'd done drinking, she wasn't the bride for Isaac. Now think about her response. Her response was unprompted. He did not ask for water for his camels. He asked for a drink of water for himself. And nobody ever asked me if I wanted to sing in the choir. I know that's because I've heard you sing. (laughs) You know, nobody invited me to go out and so on. I got an idea. Don't wait for a gilded invitation on a silver platter. Why don't you volunteer? 
Hey, do you know any thirsty camels? Are, are there any unsaved people anywhere around where you live or where you work? Are there any folks that you've met that need to be discipled? Are there any people that could use some encouragement? Are, are there any jobs that you see around the church that need to be done? Do you see a piece of paper on the ground? Do you see that maybe some help could be given in some area of the ministry? Why don't you volunteer? She said, hey, I'll draw water for all your camels until they've done drinking. It is good when God calls us and we surrender, but it's really good when we volunteer. Present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Her response was unprompted. I wonder what would have happened if Eliezer had told everything's going to happen. We'll get there in a minute. It was unhesitating. I know some people, and they wait to see if anybody else helps it. If nobody else helps, then they'll help. Pastor, if you don't get the money you need for that project, let me know and I'll make up the difference. Well, I don't know if God told you to give something. Why don't you just give it now? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, if nobody else will take that job, if nobody else will work in that spot in the nursery, if nobody else will teach in the class, if nobody else will work on the van or bus route, then I'll help. Not Rebecca. She's not waiting. I know a lot of people are going to serve God later. After I get my MBA, after I finish my apprenticeship, after we put the addition on, after the kids get through school, after things settle down a little bit, and we got great plans that we're going to do for God later on. Can I tell you, God is no more interested in what you say you would do with the time you don't have than what you say you would do with the money that you don't have. He wants to know what you're going to do with the 24 hours a day, seven days a week that He's given you now. And the fact is, there's a need out there. There are thirsty people. There are folks that are in need of the water of life, and we can't wait. To serve God, unprompted, unhesitating, and unfaltering, I will draw water for all thy camels until they have done drinking. You've been here long enough, preacher. I guarantee there's some good, faithful people in this church who used to sing in the choir. Used to go soul running. Used to teach a class. Used to help in the nursery. And, and the attitude is, well, I'm older now, you know, and it's somebody else's turn and I serve my time. Hey, read the book of Ecclesiastes. It says there's no discharge in that war. You know, I, I have never asked God to give me long life. I, I'm guessing I'll live for a while. I'm in good health. I have low cholesterol, low resting heart rate, low IQ. I'm a healthy fat man. I really am. My resting heart rate is usually in the, the mid to upper 50s, sometimes in the low 60s. I do three to six hours a week on the elliptical machine, and I'm getting so good at it, I'm about to start actually moving the pedals. <laughs> I don't really care how long I live, but I've asked God this. I said, God, would you let me be active as long as I live? If I could, if I could choose my ending, I'd like to preach somewhere some night, go to bed and wake up in heaven. Uh, I want to serve God for the rest of my life. People say, you retired. Well, I, I, I kind of retired from the pastor. I believed it was God's will. I've been there 44 years. The young man that's going to come here, I'm so glad you're having my pastor come. You're going to love him. Tremendous, tremendous man of God. And, uh, and he was ready. And it was just the will of God at that time in my life. And I was doing 60 meetings a year anyway while I was still pastoring. And uh, I just knew that was what God wanted me to do. But, but I didn't have any idea of stopping the ministry. The idea of sitting in a 
trailer park in Florida and playing shuffleboard half your life doesn't appeal to me. Why would you want to do that when you can tell people about Jesus? Why would you do that when you can give people the gospel and give them the only message that will change their eternal destiny? Her response was unfaltering. She said, I'll do it until the camels are done drinking. Hey, are there any lost people left in this area? Are there any broken homes that need to be mended by the Spirit of God? Are there any children joining gangs because it's the only kind of family life that they know? Are there any people that are pouring booze and drugs into their body to gain some temporary relief from the misery of a soul that lives without a Savior? Are there any camels out there still thirsty? Her response was unfaltering. I'll draw water for all thy camels till they've done drinking. But I want you to think about the reward. Now, the reward was unknown. I think if Eliezer, the servant, we think it's Eliezer, he's chief servant, but he's not named in the story. I think if he'd stood up and said, ladies, may I have your attention? I have here this beautiful earring and these great bracelets, and I'll be giving them to the person who is willing to water all the camels. I think, man, he'd have had a whole bunch of volunteers. But he didn't offer nothing. The Bible says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of men the things that God hath prepared for those who love Him. The Apostle Paul, moved by the Spirit of God, said, I know man that entered up into the third heaven, and he saw things not lawful to be uttered, whether in the body or out of the body. I don't know. Uh, I kind of think here's what happened. Paul died. And God said, Paul, what are you doing dying? I'm not done with you. Because he was dead, he saw a little bit of heaven, but he said, you can't tell anybody about that because it's so good and it's so beyond what you can imagine. It's so wonderful that everybody would be focused on that and they wouldn't do the work that I want them to do on earth. I don't know that for sure, but I, I kind of think that. But I do know this. God has great rewards for his servants. You said people give testimonies. Dr. Fong will probably remember this. They, they would come around and they'd say, I could have been a football player, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a country singer, but I gave that up to serve God. I could have been a successful businessman, but I gave that up to serve God. And we're supposed to go, wow. God really lucked out when you signed up, didn't he? I knew one guy said he could have been all three. He's in heaven now. His wife's in heaven. I'll tell you, his name was Don Wilson, pastor at a church in the Detroit area. Said he, and so he could have been a country singing, football playing businessman. Wow. You could have had 300 pound men jumping up and down in your belly every Sunday afternoon and you gave that up to serve God. You could have sung in a bar to a bunch of drunks and you gave that up to serve God. You could have stacked up a bunch of money, every dime of which you'd have left behind when you died and you gave that up to serve God. I want to tell you, I didn't give up anything to serve God. God's been good to me. God's good to his servants. Jesus said, nobody has forsaken their, their wife or their children or their family or their lands, but I'll give them a hundredfold in this time and eternal life on the other side. God takes good care of his servants. He generously rewards those who give their lives to him. I gave up nothing to serve God. I gave him my own old tattered garment. He gave me a robe pure and white. I'm feasting on manna from heaven and that's why I'm happy tonight. God has been better to me than the world and the devil ever could have been or would have been. God is good to those who serve Him. And you don't have any idea how good He'll be. The reward was unknown. The reward was unbelievable. 
If you take those shackles and translate them to ounces, you get about four ounces of gold. What's an ounce of gold worth today, preacher? 1200 bucks, roughly. So four ounces, that would be $4,800. Now, how long do you think it took her to water those camels? I don't know, but the Bible says it was evening when she started. So let's be generous again. Let's say it took four hours. Would you work four hours for $4,800? Some say, yeah, for the first time in my life ever, I'd work. <laughs> That's $9,600 a day. Uh, that's about $48,000 a week. That's pretty good. That's going to come up to uh, about, uh, oh, let's see, you're going to have, let's see, 48, you're going to have about 20-some million dollars a year. You could live on that if you're careful. Even in the Bay Area. (laughs) Even after Governor Newsom gets done taxing you. It was unbelievable. Everybody would have done it if they'd known, but he just said, could I have a drink? And she volunteered to water the camels. But one more thing, the, the reward, one more thing about the reward, don't get excited, I'm not quite done yet. Don't put your shoes on, <laughs> ladies. The reward was not only unknown and unbelievable, a part of it was unchangeable. I don't know what she did with the earring or the gold bracelets. Maybe she kept them. Maybe she passed them on to the kids after a while. Maybe she just kind of put them in the back of the jewelry box and wore some newer stuff later on like most of us would do. But you know what else she got? She got Isaac. Now, don't laugh when I say this. People make a joke about this. It's not accurate. They say there's smoking in the Bible because when Rebecca saw Isaac, she lit off her camel. I asked you not to laugh. (laughs) Okay? Please do not come forward to the invitation. We'll see if it works as well for that. (laughs) But there's humor in that verse. She saw Isaac. She said to the servant, who is that? He said, that's Isaac. And the Bible says she lit off her camel. Now, that means she got off in a hurry. That means she moved with haste, with alacrity, if you will. I kind of picture it like this. She said, that's Isaac? What a hunk. (laughs) Hey, big boy, I am Rebecca, your bride. Let's get this show on the road. (laughs) I don't know what happened to the bracelet and the earring, but I'll tell you a long time after she probably didn't use them much, she still had Isaac. And she and her husband were the, the ones that gave birth to Jacob and Esau and Jacob, the patriarch, third in line from Abraham of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel and a tremendous place in the plan of God. So here's the sermon. You want to know why God uses some people and doesn't use others? Because some people don't just give drinks, they water camels. Wow. Good. 
You know, some churches keep reaching people and seeing the blessing of God and keep on growing because they got some camel waterers. They got some folks that don't have to be begged and don't have to be pled with and don't have to be prodded and don't have to be guilt tripped. They just want to help. And when you ask them for a little something, they'll do a lot. They got some people that want to knock on extra doors and give extra money and put in extra time and do extra Bible reading and extra walking with God and extra discipleship of those that need the gospel of recently trusted Christ. You have a church full of camel waters. You'll see God do something amazing in that church. Go ahead, preacher. Been to Hawaii many times. Didn't go this year. I've led people to Christ in Hawaii. I've had people come to church and visit the church I was preaching at that I met out and about in Hawaii. I've preached many sermons, taught lessons. But I don't know that I'd ever done what an evangelist friend of mine did. He was in Hawaii. And he came out of his motel when we saw a man sitting under a palm tree reading the Book of Mormon. He said, are you uh, reading the Book of Mormon because you're a Mormon? Are you studying Mormonism? And the man said, Mr., I'm reading this book because I'm looking for the truth. Oh, he said, you want to know the truth? You ought to come to my motel room. I can tell you the truth. Aren't you glad you know the truth? He said, let me get my wife. And Nick and Mary Porter went up to the evangelist's room. And he said for the next three hours, he did nothing but open the Bible and answer their questions. They'd ask one question, he'd show them the Bible. They'd ask another question, he'd show them the Bible. They'd ask another question, he'd show them the Bible. Three hours. Now, my dear wife would have said nothing. But I would have heard her thoughts. Honey, we're in Hawaii. (laughs) This is our vacation. These people have been asking questions for a long time. Maybe you should just send them some information in the mail. Sweetheart, there's shopping to do and souvenirs to get and shopping to do and pictures to take and shopping to do and (laughs) places to visit and shopping to do. (laughs) And after three hours, Nick Porter looked to his wife, said, you got any more questions? She said, nope. He said, me neither. He said, I guess we might as well get saved. The man didn't know it. He just saw a man under a palm tree reading the Book of Mormon. Took it as an occasion to witness to him. But Nick Porter went to a large construction company, Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, three or four weeks later, there came a check in the mail for 2000 bucks. And another check four weeks later for 1800 Another check for 1500 Another check for 2000 And that went on for years. Three hours? Oh, i got plenty of time. No, we don't, we don't like to shop. We don't want to take pictures. And then one day the check stopped. And a long time after that, he got a letter in the mail. He said, I just thought you'd like to know what a couple of your spiritual children have been up to. She said, you didn't know this, but Nick is fluent in the Russian language. And when the wall came down in Berlin and the doors opened and the iron curtain was lifted and the gospel was able to be preached in those countries, we sold the business and we went to Russia at our own expense. We've been traveling around the country and preaching the gospel and holding crusades. Why, she said the other day, we got stuck on an elevator. It broke down and there were, I think she said, 11 members of the Russian wrestling team and six of them trusted Christ if by the time the elevator got fixed. And she said, we have signed a decision slip from 175,000 people who've trusted Christ in our crusades. Now the 2,000, 1,800,000, checks, that's the earrings and the necklace. 
six members of the Russian Olympic wrestling team and 175,000 written professions of faith. That's Isaac. Leaders in our church for years named Karen Weaver. She's a bus captain. She only stopped after many years because the doctor told her she had to. Her back was really bad, and she kept on soul winning after that. And one day she's out visiting. She saw a young African-American man, young, maybe 15 years old or so, and she talked to him. She, his name was Marvin, Marvin Carr. And she said, Marvin, would you come to church tomorrow on the bus? He said, sure, I'll come. And she went to pick him up, and he didn't come. So about the next Saturday, Marvin, I missed you. Would you come tomorrow? Yeah, I'll come, but he didn't come. And I used to say she did that for three or four months, but she said, no, preacher, I visited him almost every Sunday for 18 months. And every Saturday he'd say he'd come, and every Sunday he'd not come. But one day he came. And one day he got saved, and one day he got serious and was discipled by our youth pastor, Brother Steve Pettit. And one day he went off to Bible college, and one day he came back and he said, I think God wants me to start a church in Saginaw. And he started the Bible Baptist Church of Saginaw in the building of First Baptist Church of Bridgeport. We gave him a Sunday school and we started his church in our church. It's not supposed to happen that way, I know. Well, it, it does, but the preacher is usually unaware. <laughs> and we rented him a place in the First Ward Community Center, and then we bought him a building that had been a fast food place. And one of our men who has a construction business went in and fixed everything up and remodeled it. And the first Sunday in there, as it happened, there was only one white person in the congregation. And Marvin Kors stood up on the little platform at the front of the Bible Baptist Church in their new building. I wasn't there. The man who helped him with the building wasn't there. Brother Pettit, who discipled him, wasn't there. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I want somebody to come up here. Karen Weaver, come stand on the platform he said i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this lady you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this lady this church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for this lady i think she was glad she wanted camels all those months requirement unusual unprompted or unfair unequivocal her response unprompted unhesitating unfaltering i'll Draw water for all thy camels until they've done drinking 